Thank you for listening to this selection from bradhambrick.com. Brad serves as pastor of counseling at the Summit Church in Durham, North Carolina, and is excited to produce resources that equip believers and resource churches to care well for one another in their community. We pray that this serves you well, and we hope that you'll consider utilizing other resources from bradhambrick.com for your personal growth and ministry endeavors. So chapter 6, on that job description, the unique aspects of the wife's job description. We looked at the shared job description, we looked at the unique aspects of the husband's job description, now we're turning towards the wife. And in all honesty, this is one of those areas that if, if the common cultural discussion of the husband is a joke, and we talk about you know how it's portrayed in the modern media, and they just try to make this spoof of the husband role. Uh, the the discussion around wife is much more of a debate and an argument. And there's so much time spent discussing that what a wife is not and what she can do, what she can't do. That it she almost becomes more of a role than a person. And I think if there's one, probably the only person that I know who has that similar experience is the Holy Spirit, is the person that we're forever kind of debating, you know, who the Holy Spirit is, who they're not, what, you know, that it, and if we start the discussion, well, should a wife be able to do blank? Uh, Should a wife, when we ask questions like that, again, we're defining a person by a role, which is something that we shouldn't do. And, um, And so Tim Keller, again, helps us get started there. He said, modern Western readers immediately focus on and often bristle at the word submit because for us, it touches the controversial issue of gender roles. But to start arguing about that is a mistake that will be fatal to any true grasp of Paul's introductory point. He is declaring that everything he is about to say about marriage assumes the parties are being filled with God's Spirit. Only if you've learned to serve others by the power of the Holy Spirit will you have the power to face the challenges in marriage. And again, I think this is where we see there is this commonality between the unique aspects of husband and wife job descriptions. Uh, That both husband as head and wife in submitting are playing the Jesus role in marriage. That it is Jesus who submits to the Father. And it is Jesus who who is the head of the church. And the glory of the husband and the glory of the wife are the same. It is the way that they uniquely express aspects of the character of Christ. And when we forget that, uh, we either begin to abuse or resent family life. We begin to bristle at the beauty of what God designed to give us a picture of of that relationship between Christ and the church and the way God created us to live in relationship. Now, Brian Chappell, he says, God did not make marriage with a cookie cutter. And the way in which a wife supports, complements, and completes her spouse are usually open to a lifetime of discovery. But the realization that Christ intends for each wife to represent Him, to be His hands and heart for her husband, is the key discovery that revolutionizes women's perception of their purpose in marriage. And so that first aspect that we'll look at in a wife's job description 
uh, is that she is to be a well-suited helper. And and we find that in Genesis 2. Uh, The first description uh, that when God brings the woman to man, uh, He calls her uh, a helper. Uh, Now, the the English word isn't really as strong as the Hebrew word. Uh, It really means something more like well-suited helper. Uh, now, we may hear that and immediately hear this sense of like helper is the servant and the, and the one being helped is the master. Um, but if we look through Scripture, that same word is used about God. Uh, God is called a helper in Psalm 10, in Psalm 28, in Psalm 54, in Psalm 86, in John 14, in Hebrews 13. And so it can't mean having a lesser role or being lesser, of less importance. It, uh, again, Dennis Rainey would say, uh, the opposite of being a helper is being a competitor. Um, and, and so we might ask the question, is helping her husband all that a wife can or should do? No. Um, but, um, you know, in the same way that there's no one aspect of the husband's job description that should be all he does, um, but nothing that, um, that a wife does should take away from her ability to be that well-suited helper for her husband. Nothing should be more important than that. Well, we ask, who gets to decide what helping entails? Um, and that's where I would say areas 1, 2, and 3 of our job description become so important. It's not going to look the same in every marriage. Uh, the way that my wife serves as a helper for me is going to be different based upon the strengths and weaknesses that she has and the strengths and weaknesses that I have. And only as we go through of seeing which of those fruit of the Spirit are we strong in and which are we weak in and which ones, uh, you know, which way do we tend to distort them and, and those one another friendship relationship, what is most meaningful to us that it's in the process of doing that that we are going to learn what that looks like. And so, what is involved in being a well-suited helper? Knowing your husband's interests and dreams, his fears and strengths and weaknesses, and knowing those without idolizing the things that are good and shaming the things that are bad. Uh, That sense of being, again, fully known and fully loved, and that role of being a well-suited helper is huge with that of being trustworthy and dependable in the things uh, that you say you will do. Expressing gratitude for the way uh, that your husband blesses and enriches the family. And facing sacrifice and challenges when they come without pouting or punishing or becoming discontent. Um, Carolyn Mahaney, uh, wife of C.J. Mahaney, she says that Uh, We see that the submissive wife, far from being weak, uh, far from being the weak-willed woman our culture portrays, is actually a model of inner strength. By God's grace, she has conquered this opposition within her own heart. It is actually weakness on display when a wife is not submissive. She is only caring, caving in to her uh, natural inclination to usurp authority and demand her own way. That doesn't take any effort at all. And again, that's the parallel to what we talked about in true manhood of in being provider 
a husband is called to self-mastery and it's not about him getting in his own way and all the kind of barky, barky mess that I went through there. Um, but, um, you know, according to Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 3, part of that wife job description is to be submissive to her husband. Uh, echoing what uh, Carolyn Mahaney said, I think a wife expresses as much strength in submitting to her husband uh, as her husband does gracious wisdom in leading his family. Uh, now John Piper looks at 1 Peter 3, uh, which is kind of a, a more extended discussion of submission in hard times. And based on that, uh, he looks at several things that submission is not. He says, submission does not mean agreeing with everything your husband says. You know, 1 Peter 3 is written for the wife whose husband is outside the faith or is at least living in ways in contradiction to the faith. If the wife was just supposed to agree with everything that the husband says, then there would be no reason for Peter to write about what a, husband do, what a wife is to do when she disagrees with her husband being outside the faith. It's not that a wife doesn't have her own thoughts. Uh, submission does not mean avoiding every effort to change your husband. Again, one of the things we've said about marriage is that marriage is the place where God intends to shape our character into what God designed us to be. And the person who plays the most vital role outside of Jesus Christ in my sanctification is my wife. Now, what 1 Peter 3 is talking about is what are the most effective ways to go about changing our spouse. And it is done through fulfilling the role that God has asked us to play in. Because a husband is not going to come into uh, fulfilling his role when he is not. If the wife who is not, you know, tries to change her role in order to get him back into it. Two people stepping further away from what God designed doesn't get either one of them closer to what God intended. And so it takes us back to that aspect that Part of having a gospel-centered marriage is how we go about changing one another. Do we do that in gospel-rooted ways, or do we begin to try to do it in coercive ways? Uh, submission does not mean putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. It, I think one of the very encouraging things about that passage in 1 Peter 3 is that Peter uses Sarah, uh, the wife of Abraham, as his example of somebody who got it really right. And when you think about Sarah, if you just go back through her uh, resume, she wasn't an all-star. Um, you know, she was the one that when God said, I'm going to give you a child, she just laughed in his face. She's the one that when that child didn't come on time, she says, Abram, there's something we got to do. I think you need to sleep with my handmaiden just so that we can get a child and we can have an inheritance here. It, and so it wasn't as if the wife was called to be perfect. And I think one of the things that, that is a cultural observation that I would make is somehow as men, we have begun to give our wives the responsibility of being the morally responsible spouse. Of being the one who kind of manages the household and keeps things in line. And then we get really upset when it feels like our wife is our mother. 
And I would say we bear the weight uh, for a significant majority of the time when that happens. Um, but here, submission just doesn't mean that the wife puts what her husband says above what Christ says in Scripture. And finally, submission does not mean that the wife gets her personal strength, her spiritual strength, uh, primarily through her husband. Uh, that it says there in verse 5 that Sarah put her hope in God and that gave her the strength which calmed her fears in verse 6. And oftentimes we make that aspect of the husband being the head as if he is supposed to be the source of strength and we create that kind of codependent relationship again between husband and wife. Now in this teaching on submission... Uh, Ephesians 5 verse 24 says that a wife is to submit to her husband in everything. And so we ask, okay, what does that mean? Uh, and I'll give an example here that's from a recent political happening. Uh, when there was the Republican, to, you know, they were going through who was going to be the Republican nominee. Uh, Michelle Bachman was one of the candidates for that. Um, and in a previous interview she had given, uh, she had said that... Um, she didn't want to go into being a tax attorney, but that her husband told her that she should, and so she submitted to her husband in pursuing that career. Well, the interviewer who was asking the question there in the debate said, well, if you submit to your husband, and as part of your convictions, would you submit to your husband if you were president of the United States? You know, it's kind of one of those questions of, you know, what does this mean to submit to your husband in everything? Um... And, um, again, I won't go so much into her question and how, or into her answer, but I'll say the question is faulty for a couple of reasons. It, I don't think that a submission of a wife to her husband would mean he gets to pick her career. Uh, my wife has been a full-time teacher, a tennis coach, a full-time mother, a part-time financial coach, and she's considered taking up refinishing antique furniture. Uh, she's a pretty amazing woman. Um, in each of those transitions, my role wasn't to say, this is the career that I think you should do. It's to hear my wife. What are her abilities? What are her passions? What are her interests? It's to assess where our family is. Where are we at? Season of life. What kind of standard of living are we looking at? And what would these decisions mean if we were to make that decision? to bring that to the forefront and to make sure that we are walking into this with our eyes wide open. If there's something that it's just firmly believed that we can't do, then I would have a responsibility to speak and to say, no, I, just, I don't think that's feasible or wise for us where we are right now. But when we're within that parameter of what could be done, then it is to find out where her passions and interests are and to help her pursue the things that God has uniquely crafted her to do. And that would be my role of leading and her role and where it might come into submitting. I also think the question that's asked there about in the White House is, is kind of a bad question. Because I think it's like asking, would you obey the speed limit of being in a school zone even when you're driving on the interstate? Well, no, they don't put school zone, they don't put school zones on the interstate. That just doesn't fit. When my wife was a school teacher, and we made the decision that this was good for our family in this season of life. And she went to work at school. And she would come home and she would tell me all the stories about the knuckleheaded high school students that she was working with. It can be really entertaining, by the way. 
Um, it, and I would say, well, I'd just do this. Uh, you know, pump them on the head. I'm from the country. I mean, this is what we did back in my little small town. Uh, it, she is not under any moral authority in submitting to take my offhanded comments and do that. When we made the decision as a household that she would go to work, then that was something where she came under an authority there of how that was to be carried out. And how she managed that was based upon her expertise and skill and experience. And my role at that point was more of the encourager and shepherd than it was uh, the manager. And so, in submitting to the husband, what does that look like? It means showing confidence in her husband's decisions and striving to make those decisions succeed. It means encouraging her husband, especially when his decisions fail or go differently than expected, because they will. Building loyalty and respect from the children towards her husband and speaking words of dissent when she disagrees without casting doubt upon her husband's role as leader. Now, Dennis Rainey, he says, as women become more assertive in marriage relationship, many men have become increasingly passive in their homes. Women then become less respectful of their husbands, and husbands in turn show less love towards their wife. Um, it, and I think Scripture in kind of teaching us that a husband is to love his wife, and a wife is to respect her husband, Scripture does speak to those areas where we tend to, as genders, be weaker. And it, it reinforces us in those areas that we would tend to neglect. Um, but when we say here that, that as women become more assertive, men have become increasingly passive, assertive should not be confused with competent. That Proverbs 31 says that women are to be broadly competent. I would compare it to my role here at the church as pastor of counseling. This church wants me to be as competent and as visionary and enhancing what we do here as I can possibly be. But I do that in submission to the authority of the elders of the church. And if I come to them and I say, I think this is a great idea and this is something that we can do. And they say, you know what, that sounds great, but it just it would rub too much with what we're doing over here. And that, it's just not something I feel like that we can do at that time. Then I need to submit to that. But that should in no way stifle that sense of being broadly competent that I am called to be uh, in my role here. And Proverbs 31 is where Scripture does more than value women. It celebrates their competence. In verses 13 to 15, it says they can work very hard. In verses 16 and 18, it says they make very wise business decisions. In verse 17, it says they can be strong. In verse 20, it says they're generous. In verse 21, it says they can anticipate and see things about the future. In verse 23, they can make those around them better. In verse 25, they can be brave. In verse 26, they can be wise. In verse 30, it says they're much more than a pretty face. In verse 31, it says that God expects those who know her to praise her for all that He has equipped her to do. And so as a woman of competence, what does that look like? It means knowing and being confident in your abilities and spiritual gifts and life dreams. 
It means making decisions in your sphere of influence in the areas that, that as a husband and wife, you said this is the areas of our household that we want you to manage well or in the professional sector. And continuously seeking to use your life to advance God's kingdom and bless God and bless your family in every way that you can. Um, Martha Peace. He says, God's will for every Christian wife is that her most important ministry be to her husband. And again, if you want to ask me, both husband and wife, I think this coin flips both ways. What is the most important thing that you can do for your children? It's to love your spouse well. If you love your spouse well, you will lay a foundation for your children that is so much better than if you have a child-centered family. She will also show respect on a daily basis when he is just an everyday, ordinary person. If your husband is in this category, as most husbands are, God wants you to be grateful for him in his ordinary job, with his ordinary looks, with his not-so-eloquent speaking ability, etc. And again, I would simply say, the best of us, even on our grandest day, are ordinary when we come home. We have an amazing pastor. I've had him over for lunch on Sunday afternoon after he finishes with a full weekend. And he is having trouble completing his sentences because he is just brain mush. Um, and that, that is the JD that Veronica is called to love. Uh, that home should be a place where we, we all get to be the ordinary me and we don't have to be the on version that we are everywhere else. And I think one of the places where that uh, shows up in Scripture is Solomon, chapter 5. Um, and I'll read you a section of Scripture that uh, if you'll uh, kind of look over some of the Old Testament imagery that we don't use anymore, uh, it may make you blush. Uh, this is the bride. This is the wife talking about her husband. She says, My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among ten thousand. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black and raven. His eyes are like dove beside the stream of water bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-melling herbs. His lips are like lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. His arms are like rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedecked with sapphires. His legs are like alabaster columns set on bases of gold. His appearance is like Lebanon's choicest cedars. His mouth is most sweet. He is altogether desirable. This is my beloved. This is my friend. Uh, my beloved has gone down to his garden to graze in the gardens and to gather lilies. I am my beloved and my beloved is mine. He grazes among the lilies. And I think one of the things that we draw here is that one of the most encouraging things that a wife can do for her husband is to be an enthusiastic lover. For many of us, it is awkward to hear something like that in Scripture. And it's even more awkward to think that that is the voice of a woman towards her husband. And this is where you begin to ask me, is this just about men needing sex more than women? Um... And I would just say, read the passage, and ask, is that what it sounded like? Was this just somebody surrendering to her wifely duties? Um, but, this, but, but men do need sex more than women, right? 
Often, yes. Always, no. I, I frequently have couples come to me and they feel really awkward because the wife is more interested in sex than the husband is. And they think something's wrong with them. And again, this is where my encouragement to you is don't get to know a stereotype. Don't get to know a man or don't get to know a woman. Get to know the husband or wife that God has given you. If some of the teaching on men and women help you do that and it helps you get outside of yourself to ask better questions, great. But get to know a person, uh, not a stereotype. And so again, examples of being an enthusiastic lover. Verbally praise and affirm your husband. Keep your inner and outer self healthy and attractive. Initiate and enjoy sex. And respond to his flirtation as you would to a compliment. It, and then um, finally here, Nancy Lee DeMoss. She says to women, simply, we can't have our cake and eat it too. We can't insist on running the show and then expect men to be proactive, take initiative, and be spiritual leaders. You must be willing to let him fail, believing that ultimately your, your security is not in your husband, but in a sovereign God who is not going to fail you. It, and again, I would simply say not running the show should not mean without influence. Um, but the point that I would emphasize here is just in Titus 2, where it talks about a wife being an overseer of her home. And I think oftentimes we tend to neglect this uh, for the same reason that the husband neglects many of the aspects of his job description that he is called to. Because we undervalue the ministry of the home. We value the workplace over the home. And both husband and wife are called to have a high view of home and family. Because what happens in the home will far exceed the influence of anything we do outside of the home. Now, we would ask, this being overseer of the home, does this mean that a wife must not work outside the home? No, not at all. I would say it does mean that what a wife does outside the home should not be viewed as more valuable and receive more energy than what she does inside the home. But Proverbs 31 was clear about her abilities and her opportunities. Titus 2 is simply talking about her priorities. Well, does this refer to certain household chores of responsibilities? Again, I would say no. Scripture has no category for woman's work beyond bearing children. Uh, I mean, that's kind of the only thing that, that I can find that it says that women do that men can't or shouldn't do. Um, and so, overseeing the home, what does that look like? making the home a safe and enjoyable place of refuge for every member of her family, being content with the family's possessions and modeling contentment for her children, ensuring the possible systems are in place to provide predictability and stability within the home, and enforcing the family's values and disciplines as needed when the husband is away from the home. And so, in kind of concluding here, I would say being a wife is one of the most challenging responsibilities that there is. Because a wife is asked to respond to another fallen human being as the church responds to Christ. That's, 
amazing. And that the profundity of what a wife does in the home, that she is to manage that unit that has been the bedrock of civilization from the beginning of time. The family has been that building block unit, and whenever the family deteriorates, everything else in the culture deteriorates around it. And she has been given the sacred responsibility of overseeing that. And she is asked to pull this task off with no formal training beyond the experience of those who have gone before her, as it would say in Titus 2. And that's incredible. It, and so for both husband and wife, we begin to ask that question and we say, what if parts of this aren't natural to me? How do, what do I do there? And I think C.S. Lewis gives us a beautiful picture of what it's like to obey Christ. Um, he says, imagine for a moment you were in a country where they didn't use salt for anything. You'd never tasted salt. And you come to someone in America where they're like addicted to salt. I mean, next to caffeine, it's probably our number one addiction. It, and you come to someone and they say, we put this on all our food. And you take some of it and you taste it. And you're like, oh, wow, that's, that's tart, that's strong. All your food must taste exactly the same, right? And they say, no. Because when you put salt on food, it makes that food taste more like itself. And they would have to experience that. They would have to taste that in order to really get what we're saying. And I would say that is what it is like for us to follow Christ. Because I would say from our own marriage, I am much more of a passive, laid back. Uh, I am much more of the golden retriever on the personality end of the spectrum. My wife is much more of the strong, bold. She is the lion on the personality end of the spectrum. But what we have found as we have obeyed Christ and allowed the salt of His Word, that we have become more and more of the person that God has created us to be instead of feeling like we were kicking against the goads of something that He didn't make us to be. So my encouragement to you, uh, whether you find these things natural or whether you find some of them to be challenging, is to trust God and allow His Word to be the salt that draws out the you that He made you to be as a unique man and husband or a unique woman and wife. And with that, I think the one way that we get there is through prayer. So if you would, pray with me now. Lord, we come to you, and we long to be the men and women, the husbands and wives, the fathers and mothers that you have made us to be. We know we can only do that through constant, humble, dependence upon your grace and the gospel. So bring us to that day in and day out, and let our homes be marked by active dependence on you. In your name we pray. Amen.